Rudy Rucker. Okay. Well, thanks for coming out. The, uh, the book I'm reading from is not quite available yet. It's called The Ware Tetralogy, and it's a collection of my four Ware novels, Software, Wetware, Freeware, and Realware. And they've actually been out of print for the last couple of years, but Prime Books is putting them out in a, a nice big fat volume. Um, so tonight I'm just going to read you a little bit from Software and Wetware, I believe. And uh, it's probably the best known scene in Software is the one I'm going to start with. It's the monkey brain feast scene. It's uh, the prick of a needle woke stay high. He opened his eyes. His body seemed to have disappeared. He was just a head resting on a round red table. People looking at him. Greasers. And the chick he'd been with last. Are you awake, she said with brittle sweetness. She had a black eye. Stay high didn't answer right away. <clears throat> he had gone home with that woman, yeah. She had a cottage down the beach. And then they'd gotten drunk together on synthetic bourbon whiskey. He'd gotten drunk anyway, and must have blacked out. Last thing he remembered was breaking something, her holocaster, crunching the silicon chips underfoot and shouting. Shouting what? You'll feel better in a minute, the woman added in that same falsely bright tone. He heard her poodle whimpering from across the room. He had a memory of throwing it, arcing it across a flat, fuzzy, parabolic path. One of the men at the table shifted in his chair. He wore mirror shades and had short hair. He had his shirt off. It seemed like another hot day. The man's foot scuffed Stahai's chin. So Stahai had a bottle, excuse me, scuffed Stahai's chin. So Stahai had a body after all. It was just that his body was tied up under the table and his head was sticking out through a hole in the tabletop. The table was split and had hinges on one side and a hook and eye on the other. Stocks and bonds, Stahai said finally. There was a nasty-looking implement lying on the table. It plugged into the wall. He attempted a smile. What's the story? You mad about the, the holocaster? I'll give you mine. He hoped the dog wasn't hurt bad. At least it was well enough to be whimpering. No one but the chick wanted to meet his eyes. It was like they were ashamed of what they were going to do to him. The stuff they'd shot him up with was taking hold. As his brain speeded up, the scene around him seemed to slow down. The man with no shirt stood up with dream-like slowness and walked across the room. He had words tattooed on his back. It was too hard to read. The man had gained so much weight since getting tattooed that the words were all pulled down on both sides. What do you want, Stay? I said again. What are you going to do to me? Counting the chick, there were five of them. Three men and two women. The other woman had stringy red hair dyed green. The woman he'd picked up was the only one who looked at all middle class. Date bait. Y'all want some killaweed? Drawled one of the men. He had a pimp mustache and a pockmarked face. He wore a chromed tire chain around his neck with his name in big letters. Birdu. Also hanging from the chain was a little mesh pouch full of hand-rolled cigarettes. Not me, say I said. I'm high on life. No one laughed. The big man with no shirt came back across the room. He held five cheap steel spoons. 
We really gonna do it, Phil? The girl with green hair asked him. We really gonna do it? Burdu passed a crystal joint to his neighbor, a bald man with half his teeth missing. Exactly half the teeth gone, so that one side of his face was flaccid and caved in, while the other was still fresh and beefy. He took a long hit and picked up the machine that was lying on the table. Take the lid off half and half, the chick with the black eye urged. Open the bastard up. We really going to do it? The green-haired girl exclaimed and giggled shrilly. I ain't never eaten no live brain before. <laughs> it's a stuzzy high rainbow, Phil told her. With his fat and his short hair, he looked stupid, but his way of speaking was precise and confident. He seemed to be the leader. This ought to be a good brain, too. Full of chemicals, I imagine. Half and half seemed to be having some trouble starting the little cutting machine up. It was a variable heat blade. They are going to cut off the top of Stay High's skull and eat his brain with those cheap steel spoons. He would be able to watch them at first. Someone started screaming. Someone tried to stand up, but he was tied too tightly. The variable blade was on now, set at one centimeter, the thickness of the skull. Stay High threw his head back and forth wildly as half and half leaned towards him. There was no way to read the ruined face's expression. Hold still, damn you, the chick with the black eye shouted. It's no good if we have to knock you out. Stay High didn't really hear her. His mind had temporarily snapped. He just kept screaming and thrashing his head around. The sound of his shrill voice was like a lattice around him. He tried to weave the lattice thicker. The little pimp with the tire chain went and got a towel from the bathroom. He wedged it around Stei's neck and under his chin to keep his head steady. Stei screamed louder, higher. Stuff his mouth, the green-haired girl cried. He's yelling and all. No, Phil said. The noise is like part of the trip. Wave with it, baby. The Chinese used to do this to monkeys. It's so wiggly when you spoon out the speech centers and the guy's tongue stops moving just all that. He stopped and the flesh of his face moved in a smile. Half and half leaned forward again. There was a slight smell of singed flesh as the heat blade dug in over Stay High's right eyebrow. Attracted by the food smell, the little poodle came stiffly trotting across the room. It tried to hop over the heat blade's electric cord but didn't quite make it. The plug popped out of the wall. <coughs> half and half uttered a muffled, lisping explanation. He says, get the dog out of here, Burdu interrupted. He don't think it's sanitary in with no dog in here. <laughs> he don't think it's sanitary with no dog in here. We're both from Kentucky, you know. Sullenly, the chick with the black eye got up to get the dog. The sudden pain over his eyebrow <clears throat> had brought Stehai back to rationality. Somewhere in there, he had stopped screaming. If there were any neighbors, they would have heard him by now. He thought hard. The heat blade would cauterize the wound as it went. That meant he wouldn't be bleeding when they took the top of his skull off. So what? So the fuck what? Another wave of wild panic swept over him. He strained upward so hard that the table shifted half a meter. The edge of the hole in the table began cutting into the side of his neck. 
He couldn't breathe. He saw spots and the room darkened. He's choking, Phil cried. He jumped to his feet and pushed the table back across the uneven floor. The table screeched and vibrated. Stehi threw himself upward again before half and half could get the heat blade restarted. Anything for time, no matter how pointless. But the vibrating of the table had knocked open the little hook and eye latch. The two halves of the table yawned open and Stehi fell over onto the floor. His feet were tied together and his hands were tied behind his back. He had time to notice that the people at the table were wearing brightly colored sneakers with alphabets around the edges. The Little Kidders Gang. He'd always thought the newscasters had made them up. Someone was hammering at the door harder and harder. Five pairs of skids, kids' sneakers scampered out of the room. Stay high heard a window open, and then the door splintered. More feet. Shiny black lace-up shoes. Cop shoes. <laughs> so that's the scene from software. Now, um, I'm going to read a scene from the beginning of Wetware now. Uh, and it's still about stay high. <laughs> but now, maybe I should get a little drink or something. I'll get it. What do you want? Some Sprite, maybe? And uh, he started calling himself Stan now. S-T-A-H-N. Um, and in software, they uh, they get involved with a race of <coughs> intelligent robot, robots that are living on the moon. <laughs> the the U.S. put them there as uh, they they put self-reproducing robots there, and they built factories and they started building robots and they were reproducing essentially building copies themselves. And then they got a little bit of an evolutionary thing going, and they got pretty smart. And uh, so the humans have a okay a colony there on the moon, and uh, Stehi's living up there now, and he's working sort of as a private detective. It's sort of a, a classic pulp way to start a novel. By the way, when I wrote this novel, um, I was thinking of this as a short story initially, and I sent it to William Gibson. <laughs> we were kind of friends then, since we were both cyberpunks, and he uh, he wrote a page or two on it, but then he said he didn't want to get into it. He had other stuff to do. But uh, he slightly <laughs> slightly influenced this chapter. Asking shall I receive. Thank you, dear. Are you done with this one? Come <laughs> <laughs> on. Tell me a dollar. I'll get it later. Um, so this chapter is called People That Melt. Okay, so the door opens and Stan ladders on down and takes a look. I left out the part. This guy has called him up and asked him to come help him. Okay, so the door opens and Stan ladders on down and takes a look. A vestibule, empty and gray. To the right was a door with a light over it. In front of Stan was another door and a window like at a walk-in back. Max Yukawa's face was behind the thick glass. He opened up the second door. Stan found himself, found himself, in a long laboratory with a desk and chairs at one end. The air was thick with strange smells, benzenes, esters, the rich weavings of long chain molecules, and under it all the stench of a badly kept menagerie. His host was seated on a sort of high stool by that thick glass window. It took Stan a second to absorb the fact that about half the guy's body was where? 
Yukawa's soft, thin head and arms rose up out of a plastic tub mounted on four long legs. The rest of him was a yellow-pink puddle in the tub. Stan gagged and took a step back. Don't be alarmed, Mr. Mooney. I was a little upset, so I took some Merge. It's just now wearing off. Merge. He'd heard of it. Very synthetic, very illegal. I don't do drugs, man. I'm high on life. <laughs> People took Merge to sort of melt their bodies for a while. Stuzzadelic and very tempting. If Stan hadn't been so desperate for work, he might have left right then. Instead, he came on all nonchalant. What kind of lab is this, Mr. Yukawa? I'm a molecular biologist. Yukawa put his hands on the tub's sides and pushed up. Slowly, his belly solidified, his hips and his legs. He stepped over to the desk and began pulling his clothes back on. Over, on the, over the Vizzy, Stan had taken him for Japanese, but he was too tall and pale for that. Of course, the Gimme would view this as an illegal drug laboratory, which is why I did, don't dare call them in. The problem is that something has happened to my assistant, a young lady named Della Taze. You advertise yourself as a searcher, so... I'll take the case, don't worry. I already checked you on my database, by the way. A blank. That's kind of unusual, Mr. Yukawa. He was fully dressed now. Gray pants and a white coat. Quite the scientist. Stan could hardly believe he'd just seen him puddled in that tub. How good did it feel? I used to be a man named Gibson. <laughs> I always thought Bill had a thin head. <laughs> I invented gene invasion. You were that mad scientist who uh, turned himself Japanese? Not so mad. A smile flickered across Yukawa's sagging face. I had cancer. I found a way to replace some of my genes with those of a 98-year-old Japanese man. The cancer went into remission, and as my cells replaced themselves, I took on more and more of the Japanese man's somatotype, a body geared for long life. There was talk of a Nobel Prize, but the California dog people, the anti-Chimera Act of 2027. I remember, you were exiled here. Well, so was I. And now I'm a straight rat-a-pig, and you're a dope wizard. Your girl's gone, and you're scared to call the cops. Clear. Let me show you around. Long and undulant, Yukawa drifted back into the lab. The low lunar gravity seemed to agree with him. The closer tables were filled with bread-boarded electronic circuits and mazes of liquid-filled tubes. Computerized relays shunted the colored fluids this way and that. A distillation process seemed to be underway. The overall effect was of a miniature oil refinery. In contrast, the tables towards the rear of the lab were filled with befouled animal cages. It had been a while since Stan had seen animals. Live meat. Watch, said Yukawa, shoving two cages together. One cage held a large brown toad, the other a lively white rat. Yukawa drew a silver flask out of his coat pocket and dribbled a few drops onto each of the subject animals. This is Merge, he explained, opening the doors that separated the cages. The toad, a carnivore, flung itself at the rat. For a moment, the two beasts struggled. The two beasts struggled, but then the merge had taken effect and the animal's tissues flowed together, brown and white, warts and hair. A flesh puddle formed, loosely covering the creature's loosened skeletons. Four eyes looked up, two green, two pink. Faint shudders seemed to animate the fused flesh. Pleasure? 
It was said that merge users took a sexual delight in puddling. How do they separate? It's automatic. When the merge wears off, the cell walls stiffen and the body collagens tighten back up. What the drug does is to temporarily uncoil all of the protein's tertiary bunchings. One dose lasts 10 minutes to an hour, then back to normal. Now look at these two cages. The next two cages held something like a rat and something like a toad. But the rat's hair was falling out and its feet were splayed and leathery. The toad, for its part, was growing a long pink tail and its wide mouth showed signs of teeth. Chimeras, said Yukawa with some satisfaction. Chimeras like me. The trick is to keep them merged for several days. Gene changing takes place. The immune systems get tired. I bet. So the Japanese man you merged with turned into you? <clears throat> Yukawa made a wry face. That's right. We beat cancer together and he got a little younger. Calls himself Bei Ing these days. He runs his own fake religion here in Einstein, though it's really a front. Bay's always trying to un outdo me and rip me off. But never mind about him. You're nuts, Yukawa. You're out of your kilpy gourd. Back to business, said Yukawa, giving Stan a U-shaped smile. I don't know why I'm showing you all this anyway. Loneliness, I suppose. Della's been my only companion for the last two years. Stan tagged along as Yukawa made his way back to the thick window looking onto the vestibule. A light was flashing over the other door out there. Time's up, said Yukawa, speaking into a microphone. The session's over, Mrs. Beller. Stan got the full picture. You retail the merge right here? You're running a love puddle? That is the vulgar terminology, yes. I have to fund my ongoing research in whatever fashion I can. I sell merge both wholesale and retail. There's nothing really wrong with merge, you know. It's terribly addictive, but if someone wants to quit, why well, I'm perfectly willing to sell them the proper blocker. Outside the window, the lit door opened. Two people stepped out, a wide-mouthed brunette and her fun boy. He wore a black and white bowling shirt with Ricardo stitched over the breast pocket. She was hot stuff. Their faces looked soft and tired, and they were holding hands. Yukawa powered a drawer out through the wall. Same time tomorrow, Mrs. Beller? Feels so rave, Max. The woman dropped some money into the drawer. She was hot stuff. What type of sex do you like, Mrs. Beller? What type? That's Stan's thoughts. Okay. She was used-looking, man, and she had a slow, lazy voice and the big, soft lips to match. She raked a stare across Stan's face and led Ricardo up the ladder to the street. As they stiff left, Stan noticed their two joined hands were actually fused into a single skin-covered mass. <laughs> Hot. Yukawa caught Stan's expression, some of it. They'll pull apart later when the stuff fully wears off. In some circles, it's quite fashionable to walk around, part merged. So Yukawa presses a flask of merge on Stan, and he goes back to his office, and he's in recovery, and he's not going to take any. But he's sitting there looking at the flask. How good was merge, anyway? Stan opened Yukawa's silver flask and, uh, took a sniff. Nice. Red wine and roast turkey, nice-smelling stuff. He couldn't stop wondering what it would feel like to use a little. Yukawa shouldn't have given it to him. <coughs> but Stan realized Yukawa had known that he, what he was doing. Don't start, Stan, he told himself. Don't start all that again. Why not, he answered himself. 
Who are you to tell me what to do? I'll do what I like. Remember, Stan replied the first voice, you didn't quit drugs for other people. You didn't quit for society or for Wendy's ghost. You quit for yourself. If you go back on the stuff, you're going to die. Just then someone started pounding on the drawer, <coughs> door. Stan twitched and a fat drop of merge splashed out onto his left hand. His stomach clenched in horror, but a part of him, the bad part, was very glad. He didn't answer the door. He slumped back. God, this was fast dope. His left arm looked like candle wax, and he was having trouble staying in his chair. <clears throat> he let himself slide down onto the floor and stared up at the ceiling. Oh, this did feel so good. <clears throat> his bone joints loosened, and his skeleton sagged beneath the puddle of his flesh. It took almost an hour to ride the trip out. Towards the middle, Stan saw God. God was about the same as usual, a little more burnt, maybe. He wanted love as bad as Stan did. This life was taking its toll on everyone. What is Merge like? Baby, if you don't know by now. Wonderful. Horrible. After Stan hit the floor and puddled, he wasn't really there. The space of the room became part of his consciousness. He was the room. The chipped beige plastic, the dingy black floor, the old-fashioned windows, the desk and chair and computer. He was the room and the building and the moon colony and the earth. Standard ecstatic mystical vision, really, but fast. He was everywhere. He was nowhere. He was the same, of God, same as God, and there were no thoughts of all. Stuzzy, sis. All right. It wore off wham as quickly as it had come on. There was a tingling in Stan's flesh, a kind of gelling feeling, and then he was lying there shaking, heart going a mile a minute, too fast. This dope was giga too fast. Death practice, right? Hit, melt, space, blank, final blank. He wished his dead wife Wendy were still alive. Sweet, blonde, wide-hipped Wendy. Times like this, in the old days, she'd hug him and pat his head real soft and smile. And you killed her, Stan. Oh, God, oh, no, oh, put that away. You blew a hole in her head and sold her corpse to the organ leggers and used the money to come to the moon. Stan alone on the office floor, shuddering. Bum kicks. Think about anything but Wendy. Coming down gets too old. Does that even mean anything? Language of the flat tire. Talk broken, but keep talking. <laughs>